up for the big event. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Tuesday and have this online on Wednesday, but that's not going to happen because we've got something else to talk about before the, the minor distraction. We've got a really important thing to discuss. The, the World Cup final was played this afternoon um, in La Plata between Independiente and Huracan. Um, it was the World Cup final, wasn't it? It was of similar importance. Anyway, we have with us here this evening um, the uh, first of all an English supporter of a relegated Argentine side we're afraid to say uh, German Dan is back with us we'll be back we'll be back just give us a season uh, Argentinos will be probably back in six months in fact. Yes. Um, we have the Argentine supporter of uh, the current champions of Argentina welcome Andres hello thank you uh, I'm Sam Kelly obviously an English supporter of the same club River Plate um and uh, welcoming Independiente back to the Primera. We've just spoiled the first ten minutes of the podcast for you. If you're hanging on to hear the result, welcome back to Peter Coates. Hello. At uh, two thirty this afternoon, um, a kickoff time that changed no fewer than two times after it was initially announced last week for three pm. Um, Independiente took on Huracan. The reason that this happened was that after we recorded last week. Not all of Peter's predictions went quite as he said. Did you say they were both going to win? I think you did, didn't you? I think I might have actually got them completely wrong. I think I might have. Well, you might have said Independiente to win another account to draw or something. Yeah, it's the other way around, anyway. Independiente were held to a nil-nil draw at home to Patronato, um, which was hilarious for those of us who don't support Independiente. Um, whilst Huracan picked up a one-nil win away to Almirante Brown, yeah. right? um, which set up a tiebreaker. It meant they both finished level on points. Well, Rakan were actually slightly ahead on goal difference, uh, but of course goal difference is not used in Argentina, fortunately, for Independiente. So there was a tiebreaker, it was played in La Plata, it was scheduled for 3pm today, then it was moved yesterday for apparently no reason whatsoever to 2pm, and then Independiente's squad couldn't get to the stadium on time. Um, we're having it, there's a bit of a running theme today because I turned up very late for this recording, um, so it had to be uh, delayed until 2.30. It would have been just summed up Independiente's season if that delay had resulted in Independiente forfeiting the match, wouldn't it? It would have been brilliant. <laughs> well, I, I, it would not, most definitely not have been brilliant, but uh, <laughs> like, that was never going to happen. What did you make of the match itself, Peter? You're the well, only one who had a, a real vested interest beyond wanting to see one of the teams lose so we could laugh at it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, as I was explaining, I was actually in work so had to make do with um, setting up the Football Panathos stream on the only computer in the office which wasn't blocked um, and then <laughs> having running a that, that can't have been easy with your uh, very trigger happy boss either well exactly it was taking a, a, a huge risk um, so between that and sort of text updates um, I was able to 
to keep track of the match and uh, obviously anyone in the office was slightly disturbed at some of my reactions <laughs> uh, throughout that but um, no, fantastic back in uh, Primera hasn't been a pretty season um, it's been on, in the whole awful but I mean the reaction I think of the, of the players kind of sums up um, the feelings of anyone involved in support, you know, supporting or involved in the club. And it's nice, isn't it? After a tumultuous season, it's nice to see promotion won in an entirely non-controversial manner with no dubious decisions at all favouring the uh, bigger club who happened to be the club of the Argentine Football Association's president. I mean, we were, me and Andres and Dan were already discussing this. I mean, yes, what I can did have a, 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 a perfectly good goal disallowed uh, when they were one nil down and Q, you and, <laughs> and several other people uh, as usual bringing out the Grondona as an independent fan I, I presented those two facts in the same tweet admittedly but I, I gave them no causal relation as I was a pains to point out in the following tweet um, I, I just think uh, I, well, in this match my, my point was, was as much as anything that if there was no corruption involved whatsoever, it's still rather unfortunate that this happens in a league where so many people are so willing to point the finger and say, he's paid them off. Yeah, but I think... Because Particularly if... when Grondona, apparently, a couple of years ago, is said to have said, if I want to arrange the result of a match, I don't need to pay off the referee. Just give me the lines then. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely not trying to uh, suggest that it was definitely fixed. I'm just sort of, it, it's very unfortunate that this stuff... It, it's poor officiating more than... Yeah, on outright corruption, I'm sure, because if it was outright corruption, Independiente wouldn't have gone down last season. Well, they also um, wouldn't have been in the playoff with Huracan. No, I mean, no, that's true. Uh, you know, they wouldn't have had a whole season of abysmal performances, resulting in a home game on the final day against Patronato, where they couldn't score, <laughs> setting up a, a playoff. You know, none of these things would have happened. Uh, I think the nature of Argentine football means that any of those decisions immediately get that response where the fingers start pointing and oh you know there's a link here to this former club and mm. th this has happened and, and in, in this match it was always going to be if Independiente had won um, there was going to be a point in the match where someone would have highlighted it and said oh there was a free kick in the build up to this or yeah. that should have been a red card and there, there's your evidence that <laughs> there's Rondona's influence that, and that was going to happen frankly I couldn't give a no, I'm sure you couldn't, as, as I wouldn't have been able to. Well, as I didn't, in fact, uh, a few years ago, two years ago, when, when River came back up, having scored two goals, the first of which was set up from an offside position. Um, it's worth remembering, of course, before we get too bogged down in uh, just all of us taking the piss out of Peter for his team not being very good. Um, the next step, we are going to get on, by the way, for regular listeners and for new listeners who are here for one very obvious reason, so don't worry, uh, before too long to the Argentine national team. We're not going to talk about Independiente for too long because we're aware that they are um, probably not what most people are listening yeah. for. Um, but the, the next step is to, to ask, where does this go next for Independiente? Because I've just mentioned River Plate's promotion a couple of years ago. That was They, they won the championship. They were never out of the top two spots all season. Um, they were already a good, a good side when they went down. In fact, they finished sixth in the overall season table the year that they, they got relegated. They were relegated by Argentina's system rather than by their own performances um, without meaning to, to gloat or anything it, it's difficult to say the same of Independiente um, do you see them being 
I mean, clearly, they're going to struggle to, to come up and, and make a title challenge as, as River managed for three of the four uh, championships before they won this one. Um, can you see them avoiding a struggle, let's say, next season? There are a number it, it of sides. frankly. I mean, the first thing to point out, of course, is, is that in terms of the, the survival struggle, <laughs> there's, no, there's no relegation at the end of this year and then at the beginning of next year. We're moving to the 30-team league in which only the bottom two sides go down. So Independiente are really going to have to do spectacularly badly to go down again. Yeah, I mean, I think that in some sense protects them. Uh, the nature of Argentine football also doesn't quite have the same uh, uh, problems with the promoted sides as, as perhaps when, when we're more used to in European leagues. And the, the, your promoted sides are, are, are so much worse off than the more established top tier sides that they're immediately facing an uphill struggle just to stay in the division. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the level of the Nacional B and the Primera is not huge. Um, Particularly between the top half of the Nacional B and the bottom half, bottom two thirds of the Primera. Yeah, so, so for that reason you're, you're not looking at Independiente coming up and thinking, oh my god, they're going to have to completely go back to the drawing board with their with their squad just to, to be competitive in the Primera. Um, but that said, the promotion, although it was crucial, is, uh, is one small part of the problems with the club and they obviously still remain in the election pending and, mm-hmm. and, and obviously the well-documented issues financially with the club and with the Bada Bravas. Um, so although all of those are still unanswered, um, and, and, and so in a way this is kind of a, a good, a happy day to, to celebrate being back in the Primera, but by no means this, a new beginning for Independiente. And was it an opportunity missed? You know, the fact they're in the second in the second tier, could they have, you know, used that opportunity to sort out their problems? They obviously haven't. The problems even got worse, I think, in uh, in the bay, didn't they? More than, uh, yeah. Well, perhaps. I mean. Maybe if you were trying to be positive, maybe they'd come, hopefully come to a head, and it, maybe there'll be, a, 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 something will happen as a result of, you know, the changes that have gone on, but um, I'm not that optimistic, and obviously it's, it's an unknown what's going to happen really with the election coming up, so it's, it's still a very interesting time um, for Independiente over the next few months. Indeed it will be. Uh, they kick off the new um, uh, half-season, the Torneo Transición uh, away to Atletico de Rafaela, is it, or something like that? Um, the fixtures have been released already, but we've not got them up on the screen. Yes, we, we know that they will play in Racing the fifth uh, round. Yes, well remembered. Um, for now, obviously, we will uh, preview the new season, half season, season and a half um, before the next podcast but if you've already heard our ranting and raving about the, the new system in a, a few weeks ago, it's worth pointing out that also since we last recorded the AFA have now um, ratified it. They've, they've still not decided on the actual format for the new 30 team championship but they have ratified that it's definitely going to go ahead, uh, that it will start in February 2015 um, that there will also be something in the second half of 2015 called the uh, is it the Copa de, Campeon, de Campeones or something like that? Torneo de Campeones. Torneo de Campeones for um, a championship held between every one of the teams who've ever won the Argentine Primera. 
tumbleweed blows across the room as we try and work out why the hell that has any sense. Of course, it has the advantage of ensuring that there are going to be more super classic cosplay each year, um, which, as we always know, is a large part of the reason for Argentine football existing, is so the River and Boca can play each other as many times um, as possible and get some money for the AFA's coffers. Um, I'm going to play a very short bit of music now, just to break nicely, and then we're going to come back and we will discuss the nitty-gritty of the upcoming World Cup, and particularly Argentina's part in it. Don't go away. beat Slovenia 2-0 in La Plata, the same stadium that the um, uh, promotion tiebreaker was played in today, um, with goals from, I think got his name, Ricky Alvarez, <laughs> I was going to say Augusto Fernandes, um, and then a goal from a second half uh, substitute, quite a, a decent second half substitute to be able to send on, it must be said, Lionel Messi, set up by another second half substitute, Sergio Aguero. Um, it was uh, by another second half substitute now you have the Oh, you're quite right. Yeah, it was a, a three-way move between those three. Um, they were all sent on at the same time, about uh, half an hour to go. Cautious win, fairly dominant without really breaking sweat. Um, I'm not sure that we learned very much from it, apart from that Argentina are more or less as confident with the three-five-two as they are with the, the four-three-three. That's the default. Um, and, of course, it's good to be able to get through them without injuries because the days before that match saw Marco Reus injured for Germany. Uh, Ribéry was injured, wasn't he? Or something yes. like that for, mm-hmm. for France. A um, couple of other big players who, who were going to be missing the World Cup. And I, I think that that was what Sabella was preoccupied with more than anything, keeping players out of the starting lineup. Um, but Cristiano Ronaldo apparently is now 100% in his physical form. Yes, the friendly against the Republic of Ireland... Uh, between Portugal and Republic of Ireland yesterday, uh, it was Tuesday evening, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, was not televised here in Argentina, but from what we all heard, he played rather well. So that's encouraging if you're Portuguese, which uh, is, is not something that we deal with on this podcast. Um, but you're quite right, yeah, it's going to be Ronaldo and Messi at the World Cup and, and raring to go. Uh, what did anybody else make, first of all, before we move on to the other stuff, of the Slovenia friendly? Um, just because, as I say, it's been played since we last recorded, so... Well, I mean, it wasn't really a great deal to say. I mean, like you said, we didn't learn anything new. Um, most of the, the, the first 11 were, were rested. Um, Ricky Alvarez's goal was good. I mean, mm. uh, he sort of perhaps justified... I mean, given he was one of the names that was um, tipped to actually be dropping out of the squad. Yes. Prior yeah, to Ovenegas. Surprise to Exclusion um, Indiscretion So I guess Sorry, he, depending uh, on which uh, Gossip site <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he perhaps justified That decision With a very good goal um, But Not really A great deal You could say About the, the game No Slovenia, Slovenia didn't offer That much of a we, we knew today What uh, What will be 
will apparently be the starting lineup against Bosnia if Gonzalo Higuain doesn't recover from his ankle injury, left ankle injury, and was the formal uh, test or, or training was with Ezequiel Lavezzi with uh, in his in the starting lineup in the eleven starting lineup uh, for for Sunday match against Bosnia. Yeah, it was much as expected. It's um, Sergio Romero in goal, Pablo Sabaleta right back. Uh, if, if the gentleman who tweeted it, who writes for, I think, Teese Sports or Ole, um, has got the centre-backs the correct way round, then he's reversed Federico Fernandes and Ezequiel Garay, and has got Garay playing at left centre-back, which would be a change from previously, but it's perhaps an idea to try and shore up the left-hand side of defence slightly. Marcos Rocco at left-back, and then, of course, the midfield of Gago, Mascherano, Di Maria, with, uh, from right to left, Messi, Lavezzi and Aguero. Um, up front, Gonzalo Higuain did play for the reserve, uh, the the substitutes um, eleven, who apparently was set up in a four four one one or four five one, um, with the idea of trying to mirror the Bosnian um, system. So it could well be that, that Higuain was being used as, as sort of the most similar that Argentina have got to a Jeco style. Yes, four five one would be the the the, the scheme for yeah. for Bosnia. Um, so it might well be that Iguain's actually fit, but that Savela sees him as, as a stronger test in more of an Edwin, Edin, Edwin, Edin uh, Dzeko style for Argentina's uh, defenders at present, so I wouldn't be entirely surprised if he actually makes fitness. It is encouraging to see Savaleta and Garay back in full training, though they started that on, I think, Tuesday, uh, yesterday, um, which was the first day that Argentina were training in Brazil. Would you like to say anything? You're not very much. No, I mean just you know, the whole the whole thing about these uh, these friendlies. It's a big PR stunt more than anything else. It's a goodbye, you know, an opportunity for the fans, you know, the Argentine fans who aren't going to Brazil to say goodbye. And you know, so as, I think it's that as much as anything else, isn't it? We, we yeah. can't really glean too much from it. So. No, especially with Argentina's habit of, of always playing um, with no disrespect to particularly to Trinidad and Tobago and, and to an extent to Slovenia, uh, relatively sort of easy in inverted commas sides other sides are setting up friendlies against Germany or, or, or Portugal or you know another team they might meet further down the line or whatever and Argentina always I mean before the last World Cup again no disrespect to certain listeners but it was Canada and that was a game that was so one-sided and dull that I as I've said a couple of times in the last week I can't remember whether I was at it or whether I watched it on the TV it was that um, that, that much of a non-contest um, Almost Slovenia, uh, of course, are uh, arguably one of the better sides who felt they didn't fail to qualify them. Mm, they did, yeah, yeah. Thank God for that, because that would have been embarrassing as well, especially after saying no disrespect. <laughs> but they are, they are arguably one of the better sides who didn't qualify. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's as much as anything as you say. They're asking mm. them not to put too much into it. They're asking them to mm. give them an easy win, which, of course, Argentina don't tend to have to request anyway. Um we have had a story, in fact, part of the reason I turned up late for recording this evening was because um, Argentina had an open training session today in a Atletico Mineiro's um, stadium, the uh, Parque Independencia, sorry, not Parque Independencia, that's Newell's old boys, <laughs> uh, the Estadio Independencia in Belo Horizonte, where they stay, um, and it was cut short, it was televised live on TSA Sports, the whole training session, and it was cut short by a pitch invasion. Um, some fans being more friendly than others. We have a, the Olé homepage up in front of me at the moment with a, a headline reading, Dino is Argentine. Well, Dino is Argentine because one of the Atletico Mineiro fans who invaded the pitch and came over to Lionel Messi, dead ringer for Ronaldinho, to the extent that Messi burst out laughing and said, 
hey, how are you doing, Ronaldinho, what are you doing here? Um, some less friendly, but there was one guy who was caught live on the camera grabbing, very brusquely grabbing Javier Mascherano and demanding to have his training top, which Mascherano gave him with a look on his face that sort of said, you're very lucky there are police and cameras trained on us at the moment, because if you weren't... <laughs> um, it is quite remarkable that it, they then showed a couple of others. The Spanish national side apparently had something on a slightly smaller scale similar happen. Um, it's not brilliant for the first time. question. Yeah, it's about 150,000 or so police and military, you know, on hand to deal with this kind of thing. So to start, you know, before, the day before the, the tournament yeah. actually starts, to have the of, the, of yeah, right. at least in the areas the TV cameras were trained on, the police right. appeared to be standing around not doing anything as well. Right. To the extent that I assumed that it was, um, they were all wearing that to come in April shirts. I assumed it was the the Torshida, the, mm. the, the Brazilian version of the Barra Brava. Um, I don't know whether that is the case, but that, that's how I read the situation. Um, from the television that I was watching it on. Again, I stress we're not in Belo Horizonte. I mean, just watch this happen in the flesh. Um, but Dan, you've been in Brazil. I was until about two and a half weeks ago looking at some of the preparations for the World Cup I was in Sao Paulo Rio de Janeiro and Cuiba out on the west of uh, Brazil in Mato Grosso where four games are going to be played That's Um, uh, very sorry to interrupt mm -hmm. but for the benefit of those who weren't uh, privy to our pre-recording discussion Mm -hmm. that is to say for the benefit of all of the listeners that's very much inland isn't it very much right west west of Brazil but smack bang in the centre of South America 2,000 kilometres from the Pacific coast 2,000 from the Atlantic coast which is something they're very proud of it's their their little claim to fame as I say four games going to be played there absolutely beautiful stadium you know which was on the verge of being finished when we were there the same cannot be said for the rest of the city you know we arrived at the airport there's a 22 kilometre train track which was meant to take fans, visitors from the airport into the city centre and onto the stadium not one kilometre of that, of that has been finished it won't be finished this year never mind no, next <laughs> never mind in time for the World Cup so and the whole the whole town the whole city was like a big construction site to the extent that one stage in the airport a big uh, grua kind of crane drove into the concourse of the airport to do some work you know the whole thing was just crazy men with hard hats everywhere a taxi driver got lost roads leading up to the stadium were not finished had been blocked um, we were at one stage one of the main roads to the stadium is through a supermarket car park uh, that's how serious it was and this, this was two weeks before the World Cup start the opening game there is going to be Chile against Australia that's um, on Friday isn't it on Friday yeah the other shocking thing about this town I mean I say long way from anywhere um, is the complete lack of interest it seemed in the fact that they were hosting uh, four matches in the World Cup it's a city without any great footballing tradition it's a long way from anywhere um, I didn't see a single banner poster um, sticker anything relating to the fact that they were hosting the World Cup it's like so. people saying oh we will host four matches Oh, yeah, so what, so what, yes. Uh, I mean, it's one of these things that FIFA asked the Brazilian authorities to provide 10 host cities. Brazil, for some reason, decided to provide them with 12. Um, this was six and a half years, seven years, you know, seven years ago. Uh, and still, the fact that Cuiba, Curitiba, Manaus uh, are not properly finished. So it was... Uh it was a shock and slightly won. But the football will go ahead. If the fans have to walk to the stadium, they'll walk to the stadium. So on that occasion, the stadium was finished. I also went to the... Um, oh, sorry, out of um, interest, what, do you know what the biggest club it is in, in Cuerva? 
There are a couple of clubs in Guiara, um, both fairly small. They've not had a first division football team for something like 25, 30 years. Uh, I can't remember now the name so, of the... the so a World Cup stadium with I'm assuming a capacity of around 60,000 people yeah. is probably going to turn into a bit of a white I mean, it is going to be given over to the clubs, you know, the local clubs. But right. yeah, whether they'll get more than five, six, seven thousand people is, is, a, is a big question. So, and it is the big question being asked, you know, what will happen to that stadium once the world, these four games have been played. So. Four games in question has done so. so Chile versus Australia, uh, Russia versus South Korea on the 16th, Nigeria versus Bosnia-Herzegovina in Argentina's group on the uh, 28th, and Japan versus Colombia on the no, that's game 28, that's not the date. On the 21st, Nigeria versus uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina and Japan versus Colombia on the 24th. So after Cuiaba... Yeah, the Itaquera Stadium in uh, Sao Paulo, where the opening game is going to be played between sure. Brazil and Croatia. Uh, four of yeah. be after I managed to get this uploaded, but you might, listeners have already... Right, but four other games plus one of the semi-finals. There'll be six games in total at this, you know, the major kind of showpiece stadium. Sao Paulo has its infrastructure that was more or less already there. When I was there two weeks ago for this show game between Corinthians, you know, league game between Corinthians and another obscure team whose name I forget. uh, um, It'll come to me in a second. Uh, anyway, they had 40-odd thousand fans in for this game. Getting into the stadium took two hours. I mean, I had, a pre- I had press accreditation. I was with a Portuguese speaker, with a Brazilian, uh, and the cameraman. It took us two hours to get in. Um, we were sent to the wrong gate, then we were sent back again. At one stage, somebody came out of the stadium, one of the officials, and said... Uh, it exists. Gate E10 exists. I don't know where it is, the gate you need, but it exists. You know, believe me. So, and then the phrase we kept hearing all the time was, it's okay, we have faith in God. Faith in God. You know, faith in Dios. So, and faith in God seemed to be the, the thing that was the phrase that was keeping them going. So, and there were seats. Seats hadn't been installed. I was picking up seats still wrapped in their cellophane wrapping. Uh, there were piles and piles of them. And presumably in the last two weeks they've had time to install those. There was no internet, there was no Wi-Fi in the press room. And somebody told me that the uh, company supplying the plug sockets, and you need hundreds and hundreds of plug sockets in a stadium that size, hadn't delivered. There are simply going to be no plug sockets, you know. So little things like details, the football will go ahead. Just but, things like um, that almost yeah. made me glad that I didn't bother getting accreditation because yeah. my yeah. laptop has no battery. I'm right. sitting in the press box unable to work. Yeah, I mean there will be the coverage, the Wi-Fi uh, system will be a disaster. I mean that simply hasn't been sorted. So television will be fine, the television facilities will be okay. But for anybody else working outside of television and not one of the main accredited companies will have big, big problems getting there, getting back, uh, functioning while you're actually there I mean they're all beautiful stadiums or they will be when they're finished uh, architecturally they're absolutely stunning but, uh, apparently FIFA looks happy about incomes on advertising and that and that and, and perhaps they are not worried about the, the, the infrastructure of the of the stadiums and, and, and to deliver like you said for example the black, so- black sockets mm-hmm. on time and that's something well <laughs> the TV cameras won't see that you know, yes. so far, you know so the people who are there will notice it and journalists will complain because journalists tend to complain but uh, and some of the fans will also suffer I think I mean they'll get to the grounds one way or the other uh, and they will see beautiful you know beautiful stadiums great football fantastic vantage points I mean the roof on the Itaquera stadium was not finished they gave up trying to finish that some months ago so if it rains if, if there is torrential rain there will be problems uh, very ambitious you know it's just a shame that some of that ambition hasn't been fulfilled because they left it so late 
uh, the uh, little-known obscure club who were providing Corinthians um, opposition, by the way, down according to this article I've drawn up, uh, Botafogo. Uh, was it, no, the, uh, that was the second, maybe the second test game. Ah, right. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, test yeah, 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 yeah. They've had two test games now at the Itaquera, so, which was known by various names: the Corinthians Stadium, the Sao Paulo Stadium, the Itaquera. Arena Corinthians, I think, is Arena the official, Corinthians, is the official it? name. Yeah. Once the World Cup's over, but of okay. course, FIFA always insists that you remove any mm. sponsory or, or official names from uh, from these stadiums for the duration of the World Cup. Uh, let's see whether I can. Figueirense. Figueirense. Figueirense, yeah. yeah. First club I ever won a trophy with on Football Manager, because I never tired to take people. Um, you really wanted to hear that, everyone, didn't you? And then you went to Rio. Yeah, Rio. So it's all American. American art looks stunning. looks stunning, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's always been a fantastic stadium. It's been modernised. It's going to be even better. So as a showpiece stadium, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the problem always, I mean, my memory, my abiding memory of my, my days in Rio and Sao Paulo really will be stuck in traffic. I mean, the back of the car in front, you know. There were protests, yes. I mean, you know, protests playing to the international media that were there, no doubt about it. At the same time, they are two, especially Sao Paulo, two very, very big cities with far too much traffic and with the influx of fans and journalists and officials and players and everything. It's going to be even worse. So, I mean, anybody who's there, you know, give yourself plenty of time because traffic really is the, the thing that grinds you down. Mm. As uh, the England national team are currently finding out, we gather they're staying in the centre of Rio and training on the edge of Rio, so they mm-hmm. do it twice a day. Um, Argentina's um, group matches, of course, are being held first of all in Rio de Janeiro uh, in the Maracana on Sunday at 7 o'clock local time, yeah. which also happens, fortunately for us, to be Argentine time. Um, which is 11 p.m. for British listeners, and I think the East Coast of the United of the United States is two hours behind, isn't it? And one hour behind us. Wow! Oh, of course, we're on daylight savings time at the moment, so one hour behind. So 6 p.m. for um, listeners in New York. Uh, they then are uh, against. I, I almost said at home. Then I think the concept of the World Cup is starting to uh, become a bit alien to me. Um, on the 21st, uh, which is this following Saturday, they're um, at home in Ben Horizonte. Well, it is almost at home because that's where they're training against Iran. Uh, and then they are away to Nigeria in Porto Alegre on Wednesday the 25th. Which really is a home, isn't it? Because Porto Alegre is so close to Argentina. Indeed. And they're going to have a big, big crowd for that one. Apparently there's a very big uh, Uruguayan-Brazilian police operation going on at the moment to make sure that not too many of the... Uh, Roughly 250 Barra Brabas who are on the Argentine government's restricted travel list don't get in because, of course, many, many Argentine fans are going to be travelling through Uruguay to get to Porto Alegre. Um, I mean, I've been told cells have already been designated. A part of the prison in Porto Alegre has already been designated for the Argentine fans that they're anticipating are well, going to cause problems there. Uh, anything else to tell us from your... your Recky to, to Brazil now? Uh, yeah, a rumour that um, none of the big hotels in Rio were prepared to put Diego Maradona up, uh, just anticipating problems from him, you know, from the Barbara Brava numero uno. He's, uh, he's already in, in Rio, of course. He's in Rio, yeah, uh, yeah. Has yeah, anybody exactly. else seen the yeah. show so far? <laughs> had two editions of it. I think the third edition is going to be on uh, very, very shortly in the record. Um, it's the, it's a quite ridiculous show by a sort of pan southern South America, I think. Um, cable news channel or cable news chat thingy channel called Telesur um, in which Diego Maradona has teamed up with the Uruguayan um, commentator Victor Hugo Morales who has lived in Argentina for decades and will be best known 
probably only known to uh, most of our Anglophone listeners as the voice that is um, narrating Maradona's second goal against England in 1986. Of course, he narrates the whole thing, but that, that whole uh, Barry Lete Cosmico um, uh, commentary is, is Victor Hugo Morales for Argentine TV, um, even though he's Uruguayan. And they now have a show together, which started in incredibly psychophantic fashion on Monday with Victor Hugo Morales thanking Diego Maradona, saying, thanks to you, now I'm able to say hello to 110 countries around the world because it was being streamed live online on the Telesort website as well. Um, thank you very much, Maestro. I'm calling Maradona Usted as well, which is the formal you, even though they're both, you know, bosom buddies. Um, it was quite entertaining yesterday. They had Christoph Stoichkov on, and he was talking about as much bollocks as you'd expect Christoph Stoichkov to talk if in conversation with Diego Maradona. Um, saying that uh, Maradona, well, Maradona on Monday apparently said that Luis Suarez is the best forward in Brazil, which sort of makes you wonder. He's had a magnificent season, but you'd have thought Maradona would have heard of Lionel Messi, mm. Cristiano Ronaldo. You'd have thought that Maradona would also be aware that Luis Suarez might not play any of the group matches, um, and so forth. Uh, but yeah, the Stoichkov thing was interesting. He claimed that uh, Argentina's system, they're not, they're not going to play well with that system which leads me to believe that Stoichkov probably didn't see them play at all during the qualifying uh, system, uh, qualifying uh, campaign. Moving on, how are Argentina, this is a seamless segue, even though it wasn't at all deliberate, but what is Argentina's system? We're going to probably have a few new listeners who are uh, wanting to know how they play. Does anybody want to take over from this point, so that my voice doesn't become boring? The, the, the system that is perhaps... Um, eh, Apparently, we'll play against Bosnia. Will be four-three-three with the, the the defense you have already named with Zabaleta, Federico Fernandez. I I will play. I will put if if we're in Bosnia, that is I I I think the most difficult match in the group. It will be Garay perhaps, but as you have said, uh, he has not very much uh, trainings. Uh, and, and I will put Basanta instead of him if the match will, wasn't wouldn't be that difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, uh, apparently we with Garay and Rojo. Could could Demi Chenis be a yeah? Why that? I mean, Demi Chenis is trained week in week out with Edin Dzeko throughout the season for Manchester City, obviously. But Demi Chenis is the natural re- replacement for. Federico Fernandez, he's more... Of course, but that, that's always been assuming that Federico Fernandez is on the left-hand side of the fence, which is, which is why I say that um, that I wonder whether Savannah's actually put them that way round, or whether it's just the journalist who is tweeting. It's true that the Michelis has, has already trained a lot with Seco because he played with him at the city, but uh, um, um, in... The, the second uh, centre back would be uh, Garay with uh, not that uh, not, not a lot of, of trainings, uh, and in that case, uh, if uh, uh, perhaps uh, the, the, the first match uh, was against Iran, I would put Basanta because he didn't do, did, did that bad against. Of, co- of course, we will say well, Trinidad, Tobago, and Slovenia aren't uh, weren't more trainings that uh, serious matches. But it's my, as I think, I would uh, include Basanta uh, as I say uh, Garay for the second match. Mm-hmm. But as, as things uh, things goes by, uh, will be uh, Zabaleta, Federico Fernandez, um, 
Garay en rojo del eh, el Gago Mascherano de María y, y la Messi y Messi and Aguero and so would be 4-3-3 but Sabella prefers 5 defenders he yeah. prefers was said a lot of times that he he's he look, uh, uh, likes more uh, the five defender system than four. It's uh, worth pointing out, by the way, sorry to interrupt, that um, in the system Andres has just outlined, uh, you're going to see Ankel Di Maria very much pairing up the second Argentina to get the ball, um, using that extra lung that he has to join the attack. So when yes. Argentina are on the ball, it's going to turn into more of a 4-2-3-1, um, not a particularly possession-based one, more of a... a sort of direct, very fast-paced attack, uh, albeit obviously with the attackers that they've got, they're more than capable of playing some, some nice stuff at high speed to get into the opposing box. Um, I read something on the Guardian website earlier this afternoon by Zonal Marking, uh, Michael Cox, saying that uh, it's going to be a tactically interesting World Cup for various reasons, and one of the things that he pointed out was, as you're starting to get into now, the, the back three, um, the way that Argentines tend to look at it, of course, is five defenders, but um, the way that it's increasingly being viewed in Europe um, it is, is of playing three at the back with, with wing-backs or whatever. Um, Louis van Gaal uh, seems to have settled on it as his default system, apparently, for the Netherlands in recent friendlies as well. It's going to be kind of interesting to see a return to the back three at the World Cup. And might it also bode well for Argentina? Because, of course, this is a formation that was popularised by none other than... Um, I've forgotten his name... Mm. Bilardo yeah. <laughs> that bloke who won the World Cup for them in 1986 to get the best out of Maradona um, how does the Argentinas whether you want to call it a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2 how does that tend to line up Andres well we, we remember uh, as you, you, you said the Maria uh, uh, his physical is uh, so good that we remember him uh, running a lot in, even in La Paz yeah. uh, when it's a lot of uh, of, of uh, pressure, and, and he was running like as if he were used to playing in La Paz in the height. And uh, uh, I, I, of course, it's opinion, personal opinion. I prefer more than uh, Imaria to play more in the midfield and attack than having to run, uh, for example, an Inseco if uh, he had to do because he's he has more defensive uh, responsibilities than in attack. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I will not... Uh, Which of course is why he's, he's yes. played alongside Mascherano and Fernando Gago um, in that system on, on the left side of there. And also, I think not coincidentally, in front of the more defensive of the full-backs, yeah. Marcos Rojo is not as good going forward as Pablo Sabalet is. Albeit, he was quite lively against uh, Slovenia on Sunday. Um, but when they play a back three, the three centre-backs are... Who would you expect? Garay Fernandez with Basanta, maybe? Yes, or, or perhaps the, the Michelis. Yeah, perhaps the Michelis, Fernandez and, and, and Garay, which are for the, the strongest uh, centre-backs. Centre sure. Basanta as a good opportunity, good, good alternative, but as a, as a substitute if he uh, has to replace, for example, Garay uh, as as he did with against Tunisia uh, Tobago and, and, and Slovenia. Mm. Against Slovenia, of course, they actually played this system. They played a 3-5-2 um, with Marcos Rojo at left wing-back and with um, Augusto Fernandes wide on the right of the midfield, not playing as a wing-back, but it's kind of a lopsided formation. Um, you'd assume that Pablo Sabaleta will, will move to, to wing-back once he's fit. Um, 
in the central midfield is going to be Mascherano. Although Mascherano started against Slovenia in the middle of the back three and was kind of stepping up into midfield. Did anybody else catch the match against Slovenia? Yeah, I did. I'm yeah. just talking to myself. Good. I actually um, thought Mascherano was probably the best. Yeah, he, he ended up very early on having to step into midfield because Lucas Biglia got injured. Uh, so Mascherano had to go into midfield and they sent on... Who? Uh, they sent somebody on to to replace uh, him Passante. and to go into the... the against oh, it's Passante, of course, of course, yeah. You, you mean against Slovenia, he was replaced by... Biglia came off Passante. Ah, yeah, they pushed right. Mascherano forward, yeah. Yeah. Um, but if if, uh, if they're going to persist with, with Mascherano playing almost as a kind of 1970s Brazilian style, uh, German style libero, Argentina's Beckenbauer, I really like that. Partly because it's the system I use of football manager, albeit in 2032 with a, a sweeper who's much better on the ball than, well, no, as good on the ball as Mascherano with a German club side. But, uh, you're getting so far ahead in football manager, you're seeing about cyborgs playing for your team. Well, we've come full circle. Uh, it, it's a very successful system uh, in the 2030s, or it is for me anyway. But uh, we're not here to talk about my football manager career, much as I, much as I wish we were. Um, it would be interesting to see Mascherano playing as a libero in the World Cup if it happens, but it's probably not going to. Is it fun, though, it would be? No, I think that it's more for a test than for a three points match. Yeah. Of course, a lot of people would say that he played as a libero or as a centre-back in Barcelona because yeah, Puyol was injured a lot of time and, and the idea that Guardiola had, had was to put Mascherano as a good uh, passing ability and, and of course grabbing balls uh, as that he could be a good defender and, and, and it was okay. But for the for a, an important match regarding Argentina, national team, I think, he, he, he will put in the natural centre midfield uh, position. Yeah, um, so alongside Mascherano, if we're assuming the, the central midfield of three is going to be Mascherano, you'd assume Gago because Gago's mainly in the team with the instruction of giving the ball to Messi. So Gago's almost always, when fit, going to be just to the right of Mascherano. Yeah. Um, who's the third central midfielder going to be? Do you think Di Maria as well? or uh, Possibly Augusto Fernandez, Enzo Perez maybe? With Di Maria dropping to the bench in case he needs to come on. You know, if Di Maria is okay, Di Maria, of yeah, course. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. There's no. In that case, he's untouchable like Messi and like Aguero, uh -huh. in my opinion. Uh, See, Aguero's the other one because Aguero, if they play 3 5 2, for me, Aguero's going to be the one who drops to the bench. I think they're more likely to play Messi and Higuain up front than. If Higuain is uh, recovered as. Uh, Assuming Wayne's fit, yes. I mean, I mean when, if they play three-five-two, we're going to be talking quarter-finals, semi-finals against yes. the, the I think, side. Yes, I, st I think that if, if Wayne is, is okay, if one hundred percent and he's fit for for, for playing against uh, Bosnia, uh, if if he if he if Sabella uh, finally decides to put only two strikers, in that case, it will be Wayne instead of Aguero. Mm -hmm. And that would open the position for a, another midfield. And, and why not thinking about Di Maria and uh, Aguto Fernandes or Ricky Alvarez? Yeah, of course, who, who are on more than able um, substitutions or uh, able to come in. Ricky Alvarez was good, he scored uh, a goal. A cracking goal against me, he had to open up about 11 minutes in. Yes. Um, yeah. Picked it up wide on the right, cut inside, low finish into the bottom corner. Wonderful. Yes. 
And then, as we already mentioned, Lionel Messi scored the second with uh, Di Maria and Aguero combining to set him up. Um, Messi now is on 38 goals. I forgot to look this up on Wikipedia, so I'm trying to remember. 38 goals from 86 matches, is it? Don't remember exactly the figure, but... If he gets 18 goals during the World Cup, then he will draw level with Gabriel Batistuta as Argentina's all-time top scorer, and he will also smash the current record for the most number of goals. He's got a few World Cups left of him. He will for sure. He'll be back in Russia, I think. He's still young enough, isn't he? We'll talk again in four years' time. He will for sure reach Maradona instead of Cups, in international Cups. Oh, for sure, Andres, you're that confident. Yes. If Argentina reach the final, then Lionel Messi will. Uh, well, go I, I think he will, they will reach. Yeah, well, and the, Sorry, in fact, if they reach the semis, because of course they, if they lose the semis, they Mascherano will for sure will reach the 100 matches. Yes, Mascherano has now got 97, no, 98 caps because and the goal against Trinidad Tobago was his third goal for Argentina in his 97th appearance, and of course we, he played against Slovenia as well. So yes. Javier Mascherano, as long as he doesn't get injured or suspended. Uh, will be receiving his 100th Argentina cap against Iran uh, on Saturday of next week in Belo Horizonte. I mean, it's beautiful, beautifully poised in many ways. The fact that Messi's had a you know, poor last, you know, poor by his standards, last kind of five, six months. He's got plenty to prove at national level. Aguero's been injured, so should come back kind of fairly fresh. You know, so the team in so many ways. You know, we could eat our words, you know, could eat my words here, but I just think the team is so beautifully poised for a, for a fantastic tournament for those reasons. You know, Messi should explode, and Aguero should be fantastic, and you know, I like all these this flexibility in the defence as well. You know, the one thing every Argentine will say. To you, you know, oh, the defense, the defense, you know, yeah. Romero, the goalkeeper. I, I don't agree with him. I don't agree. I think, I think Sabella's done everything he can to cover his tracks. You know, he knows where the weaknesses are. He's got that flexibility. He's given him, so giving him, you know, the team those choices. So. If you are worried about defense, means that you are not sure that uh, Aguero, Di Maria, Messi, and the way will do well because if they do well, who defense cares? is who cares? Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and and uh, uh, there was a discussion about Messi. About his season, that well, he scored 40 goals, which is not that bad. Mm. But uh, about that, he didn't. Uh, Barcelona didn't reach the finals of the uh, Champions League, and that he had uh, he had a, 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 he was able to rest as he wouldn't able in previous mm. seasons. That was that is really good because perhaps you will say yes, he was able to have proper rest and to be with full energy uh, to, to, to face World Cup, but he had no competition, he, he, ha, he doesn't reach, uh, doesn't arrive to the World Cup with a, a competitive level, which means arriving in the finals of the Champions League and, 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 the, and the winning the, the, the Spanish Liga. Uh, so I, I, I'm not sure in that. Uh... That's physically. I think mentally, he's got a, he's got a lot to prove to himself, to the nation, yeah. uh, for all those reasons. Uh, I just think Messi will come into it psychologically, very you know very well tuned for the World Cup. Very um, sorry to interrupt, Andres, yes. but this is actually the perfect opportunity to mention uh, an article that I found or, or was shown uh, by our regular listener uh, Joseph Sexton retweeted it. Um, on Twitter a couple of hours before we started to record it's in El País the the Spanish El País not the uh, Uruguayan newspaper um, by Diego Torres who I've been warned is a creative journalist um, but is well connected 
Um, and it is about the, as we're saying, the season that Messi's just had. And bearing in mind the uh, the creativity that uh, Eduardo uh, Alvarez, uh, one of my ESPN colleagues, has warned me about, it makes sense. Everything that he says makes sense. Um, essentially, that Messi has never particularly cared too much about money. He's never paid that much attention to it. He's got more than enough anyway. And then all of the tax business at the beginning of the year, uh, Messi has felt sort of kind of betrayed by his, his own father over that because his dad's in charge of his business affairs and appears to have asked a bunch of people to, who turned out not to be very trustworthy to look after them. Um, so Messi kind of feels like his dad's been a bit of an idiot. He's disappointed for that. He's then disappointed that the club didn't, um, Barcelona didn't, didn't support him, the, the directors didn't support him in the manner that he should have done. All of the business with the contract earlier in the season was when he discovered, after reading in some magazine, that he was only the 13th highest paid player in the world or something, and so it was a bit sort of, how much do you actually want me here? And he didn't feel supported by the board's response, which was to just carry on leaking to the press that they're going to give him a massive contract without actually having offered him one at any point. Um, and essentially what, what this uh, is saying, and it, it's um, an interesting hypothesis, but as I say, it appears to make sense if you read it a certain way, is that Messi's been on a kind of voluntary, if they don't value me, then fuck them sort of thing, and, and hasn't really been trying. The phenomenal performance that he put in against Madrid earlier in the season was because he wanted to prove a point to the Barcelona board to say, you see, when I want to, this is what I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, apparently the, the vomiting, which is worth mentioning as well because everybody noticed it in the Slovenia match, it's been going on for some time, uh, appears to be, a, according to, to Diego Torres, the, the journalist who writes this, uh, is a kind of psychosomatic response to one of the stress that he's going under, which is why it's not affecting his performances. As I say, supposedly he's a, allegedly a rather creative writer, um, but everything would appear to add up at least, bearing in mind what we know about Messi's personality, he's very shy, he, he doesn't really care that much about playing any, anything apart from playing football. Um, and it's difficult to suggest that he would actually want to avoid his tax responsibilities when he's already got more money than he'll ever need in his life, in my opinion. Um, obviously, none of us have met him, have we? Have you? No? <laughs> For all I know, one of you two did. Uh, I'm pretty sure Peter's not. No, no offense, Peter. And I know I haven't. Um, I do take that to that. But, um, and the, sorry, it would appear to make sense, and it would also appear to, to suggest that one or two defenders, if they're starting to look at and think, well, you know, Messi, he's had a fairly ordinary season, might just want to watch out. The other point to make, obviously, is that if, if he's on a voluntary go slow, let's say, for the season, and he's still managed more than 40 goals and an absolute shitload of assists, and that's Lionel Messi not really trying. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. If there is something that Messi is careful about this, about his image, his, mm. his image mm. is... He has a lot of uh, publicity contracts, and, and his image is very, very important. Even perhaps same than the goals he scores. So uh, I think that if he owes a lot of money to the uh, in, in, in taxes regarding taxes, that's not a good image for him and for the contracts he has already signed. So no, and the other thing is that the, the most recent tax allegation. The one that came out just a couple of days ago in uh, Marca. Was it Marca? Or was it one of the other Spanish? Um, yeah, one, one of those, yeah, I think it was Marca. Um, yeah. To do with the Netherlands Antilles tax fund or something that some bloke could set up for his. Doesn't really appear to have anything to do with. I mean, apart yeah. from the fact that it's in Messi's name, 
And it's a media, ma- media manipulation that's obviously to unnerve Messi yeah. as the World Cup starts and the way these things often are. It's the Spaniards exactly. Spaniard being a little bit naughty, I think, in, in that sense. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the, the, the timing as well. Um, I, I just wanted to, to try and mention that article at some point during the recording, so thank you very much for giving me the excuse to do so. Um, and now, what have we covered so far? Argentina's likely lineups. We've covered the variety of, of uh, situations that they're able to play in. Um, Rivals in the group stage, as we know, they've got Bosnia Herzegovina, uh, Iran, and Nigeria. They played them in that order. This is a group, as we said after the draw was made back in December, that Argentina are going to be expected to win. Yeah, and comfortably as well. No one's yeah. denying this, yeah. right? Who do we see as the, the trickiest? I think it's got to be Nigeria, hasn't it? I think Bosnia, in terms With of the. I, Bosnia. I think Bosnia, yeah. yeah. Bosnia, in terms of the, the rankings, appears to be. Certainly, the strongest of the th- of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Playing them first. I mean, either way, I think Argentina are expected to to top the group. Nigeria have improved a lot since the last couple of nations. It must be said. Um, Iran are a relatively unknown quantity. Uh, Bosnia have played Argentina twice before in their history. Uh, the current record, I believe, stands at two 0 to Argentina yeah. with seven goals, four and none conceded. Well, I Argentina just played them recently in, yeah. in the US. Two, two no ones? Yeah. In New Jersey? So. No, in, that was um, in St. Louis, wasn't it? That was, that was where that one was. I mean, Bosnia are a team that are, get, are getting, you know, improving rapidly. I mean, so obviously a new yeah. na- newish nation, you know, a couple of decent players. And again, a, I mean, several unknown quantities. You know, you said Iran's an unknown quantity, Bosnia to a certain extent. So, uh, of but course, yeah. when we say unknown mm-hmm. quantities, we mean to us. To us, I'm turning to the Argentines. 100% yeah, yeah. certain that Alejandro yeah. Savela knows yeah. every... Well, we know that he knows Bosnia well because mm-hmm. as we said that we're about the friendly against them recently. I'm 100% certain he's had Iran scouted the shit out of as well. Um, and Nigeria, for Argentine fans, are anything but an unknown quantity mm-hmm. to the extent where the FIFA website describes the Argentina-Nigeria clash as the next edition of one of the classic World Cups. Uh, almost, 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 not They've quite. They've played yeah, each other yeah. a hell of a lot of times in the last yeah. few group stages. It, 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 it 2002, yeah. of course, when they were in the same group as England, yeah. um, and Argentina went out in the first round, 2006 or 2010? No, 2002, 2010, and 2005. I remember right, Olympic football final as well, if I remember right. Yeah. Argentina won. Nigeria won, sorry. In Beijing? Yeah. No, no, the one in Beijing, Argentina, once that would have been the one, the one before, before that, that which yeah. was in 2000. They played the same final of Atlanta 96, I think, or yeah. and then and again in, in 2000, and yes, Beijing. Yeah. yeah. And were they in the same group in 94? Not in 98, 96. Was there, but 94. 96 was the. Ah, the, the, you mean the World Cup, yes. Yes, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so they're, they're a very well known, uh, very well known rivals. Um, and that will be a, an interesting. It was a match. tough match against, against Nigeria in 2010, last uh, World Cup. Mm-hmm. And the goal for uh, scored by Heinze in a, a corner kick, I think. So it wasn't so easy. I think this case. Well, that's the Diego Maradona in yeah. charge, so yes. without a manager, essentially. So we'll see. But I noticed actually, somewhat controversially, perhaps that in the Guardians. Preview to the World Cup, someone was making a um, a, a kind of 
grudge match between Argentina and Iran as well over the. Uh, They've never played one another. No, no. Uh, over the over the Amiab, the Amiab yeah. bombing. Oh, of yeah, course. So, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, politically, yes, but what relevance that will have to the players, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 whether yeah. we're going to, I very much doubt we're going to record a handball during the group stage. I think we are going to have a mini episode at the end of the group stage, but recording after each of Argentina's group matches strikes me as a bit sort of gratuitous given that absolutely everybody who listens to the pod I imagine is going to have watched Argentina's games I can't really see what we're going to be able to, to tell anyone um, about them as such particularly because I've got shit loads of work during the World Cup group stages so I don't really have much time to edit these um, so we may as well mention now why this is a lot of uh, listeners who are only interested in Argentina for the football um, will not have heard of the Amir bombing my girlfriend is Jewish, so I very much have. Uh, one of her aunts didn't get killed by her because she didn't go in that day. Little rundown. I mean, the Amia was the Jewish is the Jewish cultural centre in the heart of Onse neighbourhood in the heart of Buenos Aires. Uh, July 1994, a bomb exploded there, killing I think 90 something people. Yeah, um, a few months. It was a few months after the uh, Israeli embassy. Well, two, two years. I mean, 92 was the uh, oh, bombing, yeah, the bombing of the Israeli embassy in Buenos Aires, where you know, again, many people died, 30 or 30 or people died in that. But 90-something people died in the army of bombing. Uh, the Argentine authorities shortly afterwards blamed the Iranian uh, embassy staff uh, operating in Buenos Aires at the time. They, of course, denied it all. Um, almost nobody has ever come to book for it. I mean, a, like, it's, it's a, worth a, pointing yeah. out that at the time of the Israeli bombing, of course, Argentina had been a democracy for less than 10 years yeah, uh, yeah, and, and yeah. in certain strata of the society the the old military order was still let's mm. say influential obviously they didn't have any yeah. sort of and they were thought to possibly be involved possibly have been bought you know, the police the military have been you know bought off by the Iranian uh, the Iranians mm. who carried out if indeed they did carry out the bombing again it's never been proved it's never come to any court the Argentine, Argentinians a couple of years ago did issue international or they asked Interpol to issue international arrest warrants for several leading members of the uh, of the Iranian embassy at the time yeah. uh, which are still current I believe and so. Has recently signed a, an agreement with Iran, I think. Yes, um, which has pleased the Jewish community in Buenos Aires no end. Um, mm. He says with tongue very, very firmly in cheek. Um, they're not very happy about it, unsurprisingly. Um, so that's a, a brief rundown of why Argentina Iran is going to be an interesting fixture. That one's being played in Belo Horizonte. Um, uh, anything else to add? In that case, I'm going to play some more music, we're going to riff in our glasses, and then we will get to uh, rather a lot of listeners' questions, because we've, we've been quite big on encouraging them this week, because of course, lots of people are going to want to know some things that we'll already answer, and some things that we haven't, so don't go anywhere. emailed to me uh, two weeks ago by regular listener Lee Bartlett who I've met a couple of times when he's been down here for, uh, in Buenos Aires for a few days um, and I completely forgot to ask it last week it is are there any clubs I very much doubt we're actually going to be able to answer it by the way but 
I will ask it in any way so that he knows I have done. Um, are there any clubs within the Argentine league system that play on artificial surfaces? Argentina, no. No. Argentina, no. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah, the answer. I wouldn't have thought so. I think given the state of some of the pitches this season, perhaps it might have Boca Unidos strike me as the most likely, but their, their pitch, of course, when Independiente played on it, was famously lush and yeah. verdant with grass almost as high as this table. Um, so I. Some, some are weak, are weak, but are, but are natural. Yeah, but very interesting kinds of, or very exotic kinds of grass to to a, a British groundsman, I would imagine, um, in some cases. But we don't think. I remember Argentina playing in the two twenty o six youth and the twenty World Cup mm-hmm. was in that year that in Canada that they played with artificial ground. Yeah, well remembered. I mean, I think in the lower leagues. Just the initial expense of getting an installed yes. one of those yeah. kind of arti- a decent right. enough artificial pitch. Yeah, it's not really a topic that tends to exist here anyway. Yeah, right. um, it's this year as well. I think they pretty, you know, kind of, of crumbling old fashioned stadiums. I think, you know, they need to sort the stadiums out before they sort their, uh, yeah. their pitches out would be, would be useful. Um, Elliot Fernley has tweeted, he tweeted actually a couple of hours or the day after. Um, we recorded last week but he asked do you know whether any team has won the torneo inicial and the torneo final in the same season and what happened if they did I assume that what he's talking about is that since the renaming to inicial and final there is a season final um, the answer is that if any team did do that uh, then there would be a, a super final they'd just be the, the season champions um, but of course actually that doesn't matter because the season championship doesn't mean anything here in Argentina yes. and it's only been played for the last two seasons but there so will, there no, be, it's not happened there will, uh, there will be a, a, a match that will be played because of course there's only one champion it's exactly um, but no it hasn't happened because obviously it, it's only been uh, taking place for the last two years anyway and it won't take place next year because we're changing the league structure again because the alpha got bored again um, the next question is to go up a bit now in the timeline. Tom Reed asking, how important do you think Fernando Gago is to Argentina? I think he's a class act. Very important. I think we, we talked about, the, about that, uh, I don't think it was the last episode, that the good he, he does for Argentina, the, 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 the comfortable he plays because uh, he has a lot of other players to pass the ball and to the other players that gives the ball to him back and which doesn't occur for Boca uh, that he ha- didn't have a good uh, torneo final because of this uh, he has to do everything he has to start the place finish the place to pass the ball to perhaps shoot the shoot players number 5 players number 10 players yes. number 9 if you can it's the kind of player every, every team needs, isn't he? This kind of unsung heroes, the workhorse, you know, the kind of creator. He's, he's, he's kind of there. But, you know, when you're in the same team as Aguero and Messi, you're often going to be overshadowed. But, uh, and, yeah, but, you know, he's, he's a vital, vital cop. Because yeah, of his yeah. understanding with Messi, particularly, yeah. he plays on the right-hand side of the midfield mm-hmm. three when they play the 4-3-3. Just in behind Messi, just ahead of uh, Pablo Sabaleta. And his job, basically, is going to be be in a position to receive the ball from Javier Mascherano when Javier Mascherano tackles or from a secular Garay or from um, the other bloke Federico Fernandez um, and then know when you get the ball know where Pablo Sabaleta is know where Lionel Messi is know which of them is more likely to be able to do some damage from the position they're in know when they're going to want it to their feet or into space and execute it 
and he does that superbly every time, even in the matches that he gets criticised um, when he doesn't play well for Argentina, that's the one thing that he still does and that's exactly what he's in the team to do and that's why even when he plays relatively poorly by his own standards, it doesn't tend to, to harm Argentina that much. I think uh, his importance was very, very obvious when he got injured for Boca because um, mm. the rest of the world who perhaps don't, who are interested enough in football to know the Argentina team but perhaps don't watch all of their matches thought, well, Fernando Gago being injured is not that important. It's not Messi, it's not Aguero, it's not the players that we've mentioned. But in fact, when he was injured, it became quite a big story in Argentina and, and uh, because of the fact that for, that for that role that wasn't an immediate replacement, there was a huge debate about, well, who, who would actually go into that position in with Mascherano in the midfield and who will feed the ball to Messi so successfully? On, on that note, it is worth tempering that with the point that in 2006, when Jose Pekerman left out um, Javier Sanetti, among others, all of the fuss in Argentina was about Herman Lux not being picked as the third choice goalkeeper and everybody ignored the fact that Sanetti hadn't been called up despite being by yeah, the best certainly not saying um, that Argentine, the Argentine press is the sort of it's another, it's another world to everyone apart from that there is a big difference between Boca and the national team which is when now when, when Gago was, in, was injured the one who replaced him was Federico Bravo a, a youth player that was uh, he, the, during his, he played his first first matches, and in the national team, if he is injured, the one who will replace him is Biglia. So there is a very very big difference. Biglia's yeah. player, Lazio, has played already at underlet, underlet, and, and has a, a much more experience than in this case Bravo, who will replace Gago at Boca. So he has more pressure at Boca than the national team. Uh, where we, we, I remember the pass he gave to Messi in Chile in the, in the World Cup qualifiers yeah. at Santiago. It was wonderful. And, and he can't do that at Boca because he has to think about a lot of other things. And also, I'm guessing, if you've got the ball and you're trying to work out who to pass it to, and one of your options is, I mean, at Argentine Primera level, you've got... Emmanuel Gigliotti to pick out who's a, a decent striker I'm not knocking him or you know, you've know, got another choice of Claudio Bravo or Claudio Riano or whoever if you're playing for Argentina you look up and you see Lionel Messi running through on goal and you think mm-hmm. should I give it to him is he going to be able to yeah he'll probably be able to convert this chance and the, uh, another difference you can give Messi a, a pass that is not that good and he will reach it anyway mm-hmm. Gigliotti you give a bad pass Gigliotti he can perhaps grab the ball and score and but uh, in, the difference is the, with the one who receives the ball, not only that Gago is the one who passes it. Yeah, that's true. Um, we've got a few questions from a gentleman whose Twitter handle is Banega. Um, from his photograph, he doesn't appear to be ever Banega. Um, but first of all, he asks, Rojo and the defence, will they hold up? Can Masje and Gago handle a Spanish midfield? Argentina would place Spain in the semi-final if both won their groups and then progressed. Daniel, you like yes, I mean the simple answer is yes. It would hold up. I think it would. Yeah. It'll be a tough, a tough battle, obviously. But uh, yeah, I think there's, as we were saying before, there's enough versatility um, in Sorella's thinking about how to organise his defence and his, his midfield. That, yeah. Yes, I think they can cope with pretty much everything that uh, this World Cup could throw at them. Yeah. 
there's some betting web. I think it might be bettingexpert.com or something, but there's one, one or the other betting sites who've got a bunch of experts, not me, about which I'm greatly offended, of course, um, to, to predict the World Cup. And uh, in Jonathan Wilson's uh, World Cup predictions, round by round, he made the point that if Argentina and Spain meet in the semi-final, um, then in terms of the midfield battle, it's going to be Spain's midfield, of course, slightly older than Argentina's, although Argentina actually have the oldest age sure of any of the yeah. World Cup squads. Yeah. Uh, but in midfield, Mascherano's 30, but Gago's 27, maybe? Mm-hmm. And Di Maria's 25, I think, or 26. Um, the basic difference between Argentina and Spain's first choice midfield threes in terms of the makeup of them is that Argentina have got Di Maria um, and Spain don't have anybody who can run quite as relentlessly and quite as unstoppably as he does um, so in terms of Mascherano and Gago I mean they play with them Mascherano mm-hmm. trained against Xavi and Iniesta um, and uh, the other one Busquets thank you Peter um, he, he trains with them every week so I, I think he's going to be able to handle them Gago, maybe more of a question about the Di Maria. If if Sabella does decide to go with the the four three three system against Spain, yeah, I would say so. It's strange. It's strange because I think that for the toughest matches he will choose five defenders or Di Maria to put to put Di Maria more in in defensive responsibilities. But Spain is a strange case because they don't have natural strikers. They have a, a, a very uh, yeah. the dynamic midfield the other thing in, with, with, with the way that Spain plays that they whilst they're arguably the hardest opponents Argentina can face onwards to the final they also are the least likely to just bomb them down the flanks and therefore if, I, if we all agree and I think we all do that Argentina's real weak spot is at left back kind of contradictorily the strongest team Argentina face are the team who are least likely to actually be set up to exploit that weak spot, if you see what I mean. So the fact that Marcos Rojo at left back is less confident in Spain than the rest of the side might turn out not to matter as much against Spain as it might against, well, Germany, for no, instance. I, I agree, I think Portugal, yeah. believe it or not. On a much lesser scale, for example, when, when Argentina last played Ecuador, who obviously did rely hugely on New Jersey on just the flags in Valencia and um, Montero. Montero bombing it in at, at, at the fullbacks basically it just that was the attack and for a lot of the first half it looked like Sabella had deliberately set the team up and said to whoever was playing wide left in attack in Argentina don't track back at all just expose Rojo because I want to see how the fullbacks can do I mean I'm not saying that's what happened I'm saying watching the match it seemed like that's what and happened I, I guess that Sabella knows that he's Weak side is the, the left one because mm. that's why he tries to to uh, put Di Maria to help perhaps Rojo because he has more uh, well uh, perhaps he can uh, go to the as a as a wing uh, starting from the from the their back from their side and, and if they play natural four three three Rojo will be a bit more like a, a weak. So in that case, I think that for that t- tough matches like Spain or Germany, for example, more Germany than Spain, I guess. In that at this moment, is Germany more def- dangerous or more or tougher than than Spain uh, to to include the Maria in a bit uh, uh, as I say back perhaps or back midfield because of Rojo, yes, that he's not. Uh, the other point is that Di Maria's 
pace and just constant running as such that if Di Maria's stationed on the left with orders to, to cut wide left, and this is uh, one thing, if you've not seen much of the Argentine national team during qualifying, um, but you've, you've been watching European football, Ancon Di Maria's role under Carlo Ancelotti at Real Madrid is very similar to the way that he's played under Sabella for Argentina. Um, that is almost going to prevent the opposition from being able to, to overcommit down that side of the pitch as well. Um, it's almost like having a, a, somebody out, way out on the left wing and telling them just, just get behind the fullback constantly so that the fullback doesn't have the chance to join the attack overlap with his winger when, when, when his side have got the ball. Um, so can they handle the Spanish midfield? Yes, if they're set up properly. And Sabella is the one manager I think you'd want to set up a Spanish midfield uh, against them. I mean, we're talking about the manager who, who was this far away. I'm holding my fingers very close together at the moment for the benefit of listeners, um, from beating the greatest Barcelona side of all time in the World Club Championship final with Estudiantes de la Plata. Banega yeah. um, also asks, has this been our best campaign, um, qualifying campaign yet in the Sabella has had full control and a settled, consistent squad? I mean, in recent years, yes. Bear in mind that Brazil obviously haven't been involved in the qualifying campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but the terms of I, I worked out towards the end of the qualifiers and I've not looked it up again so I can't remember exactly but in terms of the goals per match scored because obviously you can't just go pure goals because they've played two matches fewer everybody's played two matches fewer than they normally do in the South American qualifying campaign in terms of the goals per match scored um, Argentina have scored the highest quantity of any side in South American qualifying since qualifying for 1998 I think um, so I think it's quite difficult to, to suggest that it's not been seriously impressive. It's also between the defeat away to Venezuela in Sabella's second competitive match in charge, I think it was, which is the first time ever that Venezuela played Argentina and didn't lose to them. Between that and the 3-2 defeat away to Uruguay in the very last round when Argentina had already qualified, didn't care about it, and Uruguay desperately needed a win to get into the playoffs. Um, Argentina under, uh, went through the longest unbeaten streak in both qualifying matches and friendlies of any club, uh, any club, any national team in the world. Um, it was something like 21 games or something just off the top of my head. I mean, compared so, to so, the 2010 qualifying, all that drama <laughs> and Maradona throwing himself across you know, the you know, rain-sodden pitch and, you know, there was all, apart from, you know, minor drama with that defeat away to Venezuela, there was no drama. No. You know, it was just a done and dusted deal almost right from the start. So, and I think that Going into the World Cup, Argentina's hugely benefited from from that when it's been refreshing that for months we've been able to talk about Argentina's team and barring injuries, known what we're looking at and like mm. that must be hugely helpful within the squad that people know exactly what their roles are. People like Gaga who perhaps the rest of the world don't see as an elite level footballer but is hugely important in a specific role within the team. And um, when you look around, you know, obviously means coming from an English perspective, one week, three days before England's first game, people are still debating the first 11 or the formation, which has been a thing for years with England. Who's going to play? Which formation are they going to play? And yet Argentina have been able to, for, for months... And yet, ironically... Argentina might have, on the face of it, the most predictable starting eleven in the World Cup. If we go with the four-three-three we named earlier, 
that entire starting eleven during qualifying, I think, played together, started a match together twice. Which sounds incredible. Obviously, partly it's because of injuries and because of suspensions and whatnot. But um, So we'll see. But it's a testament, again, to the, the, the fact that Argentina's record during qualifying really didn't... wasn't affected by that. They, they had first-team players out. Sabella's a very intelligent man at setting things up. Um, so I think we've got to say yes to the question. It, it's, I, I don't know about the best campaign ever in Argentina's history, but it's been very impressive. But I guess next question is... Um, is this our best but also our last best our last good chance uh, we've got an older squad but primed for it but the next few World Cups are a worry considering the drop off of youth successes um, and the fact that the talent is a little less prominent coming through than previously he also apologises for the barrage of questions that's absolutely fine don't worry um, I think to some extent that the lack of success recently in World Youth Cups has been down to some slightly questionable choices on Mr Grondona's part of who he's put in charge of the youth national teams. I absolutely, I, I'm completely certain that if Seba were here with us, which he has not been for a couple of years, so I don't know why I'm saying this, but he would definitely agree with me. Um, no, I, I, there's, I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, Grondona's choice as manager for the last World Cup as well, you know, through... Precisely. Yeah, fantastic and, and, opportunity, and, you know. And the guy managing under 20 is yeah. still... Um, is it still uh, Tokani? No. Who's the Argentina under 20 manager at the moment? No, Togani said for uh, it's the Chile, I think. But I meant to answer the question. Was this, the yeah. this is the best. Uh, Trobiani. Yeah. Uh, tr- Trobiani. So, uh, the Argentina, sorry to interrupt that, no, no, no. Uh, but I'll just do that. Um, the Argentina under 20 manager, Trobiani, is. The guy who was put in charge of Argentina under 20 very shortly after Maradona was made full national team manager. And the idea was that the generation of 1986, these were the boys to bring our men through. The men to bring our boys through, as it were. In fact, um, it very much hasn't worked out that way. Surprise, surprise, because they're not coaches. <laughs> they're, they're idiots. Um, so yeah, I think that the management's got more to do with it, the talent coming through. One of, one of the things that we saw against Slovenia um, was for the second time in just over a decade, for the second time in 11 years, um, a River Plate starlet making his Argentina debut before he makes his Primera División debut for River. Um, Javier Mascherano yes. famously debuted for Argentina's full team before he debuted for River's first team. Um, against Uruguay, funnily enough, in the Estadio Único de la Plata back in uh, 2003. Um, I, of course, was at his, his River Plate debut, as I've mentioned a few times uh, later on that year, um, the first match of the 2003 class uh, Apertura. Um, we saw Emmanuel Mamana. Sorry, it's impossible to keep a straight face when saying the name, just because of the number of M's that are involved in, in uh, both names. Um, he's, he's in fact played for River's first team officially before, because he was involved in a Copa Argentina match last year, or earlier this year, one of the two. No, it would have been last year, wouldn't it, because they've not played in the Copa Argentina yet this year. Um, but it was an essentially uh, reserve River team. It was the, the team that lost to San Lorenzo, I believe, in the Copa Argentina semi-final. Is that right? Is that San right? Semi-final, they lost to San Lorenzo, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, 
So I think, no, I think it was 2012. Copa Argentina played against the Estudiantes of Buenos Aires. And oh, that sounds right. Yeah. 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 Um, but of course, the, the Copa Argentina was a competition that didn't exist when, when, when Saviola, when Mascherano, uh, made his River debut. Um, so both of them have played for Argentina's full side before playing for River Plate's first and, team. And Mamara replaced Mascherano in that Yes, exactly. So that's yes. the, the poetry of yeah. the moment, that's the real historicity. Uh, sorry, Dan, I interrupted you. No, I was going to say, it'd be very difficult to match a generation, you know, the generation of players that Argentina have got at the moment, you know, however good your youth squad the players coming through are. I mean, this is an exceptional squad at the moment, so, and if they don't win this World Cup, you know, it will be a lost opportunity. They should have won, they should have won it in 2006, and with the immediate manager they had, they were obviously yeah. never going to do that. So, 2000, so 2010, I mean, 2006, get a great team, but, you know, I don't know, lack of self-belief or whatever it was, this is the opportunity. And if they don't, you know, who knows when their next big opportunity would be. But. Having said that, of course, once Lionel Messi retires, um, you're going to have a drop-off in terms of Argentine attacking talent because Lionel Messi is going to have retired and how on earth do you replace him? By the time he retires, he might well be the greatest attacker who's ever played the game. Um, so you're going to have some kind of drop-off. But, arguably... Are we going to have a more balanced squad? Because there are a few decent defenders coming through. You've got Lisandro Lopez, for instance. I think the, the thing is that Sabella stayed true to his tour squad and then there wasn't any surprises with young players that came into the squad with the kind of sec- the backup choices. But that's not to say that there aren't young Argentine players who could have quite conceivably, like you were saying, Lisandro Lopez could have come in, Gino Borussi. Uh, and in defensive positions as well, this is the thing, because much as it's perhaps less attractive for the majority of people to watch. Defensive football tends to be what wins at international level. If Argentina managed to win the World Cup this year, it's going to be partly due to a terrifying attack, but it's also going to be as much to do with the fact that they transition so rapidly from defence to attack when they win the ball back. Um, And so arguably, if they've got a generation coming in who can defend as well as the current generation attack, it might even favour them slightly at international level. Who knows? I mean, in other words, I mean, obviously we're not trying to predict the next couple of World Cups down the line, um, but I wouldn't get too gloomy necessarily. At the moment, you'd think once Messi retires, surely their chances are lower. But mm, you never know. You never know what's going to come in four years' time in football. That's why we love it. No, I think you're right. Messi, at the point where Messi retires, they're going to have lost one of, if not the greatest footballer of all time. However, which obviously is a blow, but Argentina is always going to produce very, very good footballers mm. due mm. to the nature of the country. Yeah. And there's actually very good young footballers now coming out of the country who were not involved in the Looks squad. Looks like it is every 20 years because Maradona was 80s. Messi the, now is the, what, the player to uh, compare, com- similar to Maradona, and perhaps 20, 30. There is another... Well, almost every 30 years, though, because Messi now is a few months older than Maradona was in 86. Yes. Not that we're willing to draw any false comparisons here, of course, I hasten to say. Uh, Marcelo Moray Araujo has tweeted to ask what time we're recording. Unfortunately, um, we were planning on having her in, but she was, uh, she's got a very early flight tomorrow morning and she was unable to attend. So, Marcelo, if you are listening, uh, hopefully we can get you on after the World Cup. Um, we've got a few more Jay Dizzle asks fantasy world cup themed question if you could pick one Argentine player from history 
beside Diego Maradona, who would you put in the current squad? I know exactly who I'm going for first time. Okay, different. You read my mind, Andres. <laughs> Anyone else got any suggestions apart from Alfredo Di Stefano? That's really. Is to view strength in the back. That's what I mean. In terms of if you're looking at the, the weakness within Argentina's current. Federico Fasio. Put it left back. Federico. <laughs> We've gone over why Fasio's not in the squad, and I think his uh, rant against Sabella on Spanish radio is probably the main reason. So Osvaldo Adilis. For his energy and intelligence. I have two suggestions. Well, obviously, I was going to, as I say, I was going to say uh, Di Stefano as first choice, but I have two suggestions. Um, one. Uh, is Luis Monti, the 1930 World Cup captain, who captained Argentina in the 1930 final, then went on to win the World Cup in 1934 with Italy, um, who I think would add some steel to the back line. <coughs> the other, and I'm not suggesting that he's greater than certain other competitors, um, is Juan Pablo Sorin, mm. because I think he's the one player of relatively recent vintage that Argentines probably wish that they could put into this World Cup squad right now, given that, as we've mentioned, left back left side spot. Yeah, yeah, if, if you had Serene with the rest of this side, I think there'd be far, far, far fewer doubts about Argentina's ability to win. Yes, after Serene there was no other left, left defender or good left defender. No, or good enough. Which is why you've started to have centre-backs. Arguably not encouraged by Maradona's position of not taking any full-backs to the last World Cup. I don't think that could have encouraged certain young Argentine full-backs to think that they would have had a future. I mean, most obviously, uh, Juan Sanchez Mino at Boca Juniors, of course, who is known to have said, I'm not going to play full-back, I want to play midfield. And yet, at the time, we said on hand a pod that he's an idiot, because if he, if he says to Bianchi or to Falcioni or whoever it was he was coming up under... I'm happy to play left back. He's got a future in the national side, and he seems to have shot himself in the foot with that, right? The same with Balcioni, but but he finally accepted because at first he said that he would play. He was more comfortable playing as a left midfielder, not in the midfield, not as a, as a number three or left back. Mm. Then he finally he might, he might have talked with Ramon Diaz and, and accepted to play. Look, if you want Ramon Diaz, same him. I, I imagine. Look, if you want to be the in the certain lineup, you have to play at the back. Mm. Well, okay. I mean, in River's system, he almost plays as a wing back. In fact, but it's yeah. there's no real clear position, I suppose, that, that, that he's he's best in. At first, I didn't like Bancheri playing as a, in the back because he he had to go back from the midfield and and he several times committed fouls, unnecessary fouls. Mm. Then he started playing, he like was more comfortable, he adapted himself to playing and, and he did more decently. But at first it was like, I am a, a, a midfielder playing in the back. So he was not like, he didn't fit him. But. No, exactly. Uh, Dan United asks, Aguero or Iguain, Fernandez or Demichelis? I'll say Aguero. Uh, I'll go for Aguero. Uh, and not Demichelis. Yeah. The first no, of those is almost a f- kind of false um, dichotomy though, right? Because yeah, so they're going to play together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Far more often than not. Yeah. Obviously, as we mentioned, if Argentina go 3-5-2, Aguero is the more likely to drop off because they're going to need a more physical striker to play and give Messi something to play off. But 
in the 4-3-3, as we say, it's going to be from right to left in the attack. Messi, Iguain, Aguero. Um, Fernandes or David Chenis? We'll go Fernandes, right? All those. Just in case you heard any chattering in the background there, we, um, Peter got called away to an important phone call in which he was told by his boss um, that he was going to be allowed to watch the World Cup tomorrow, essentially. Um, no, 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 no. Work from home, I think, was here. So we apologise for the, for the background noise, um, but Peter, welcome back. Uh, we've just been asked which of these four players uh, we would go for Aguero or Iguain in the starting lineup, or Fernandes or David Chenis. We've all agreed that Aguero and Iguain are going to play together. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you rather have Fernandes or David Chelis? We've already answered the question, really. We're all going with Fernandes. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think the, David Chelis is a very able backup, obviously. Um, yeah, and I think the, the question really between Aguero and Higuain being the formation change that we discussed earlier. Yeah. So in the 4 3 3, I'd agree with you on both accounts. Fantastic. Ed Mallion asks Why is Fernando Gago in a room on his own? Did you see the, the, yeah. the tweets of the uh, lists of who's sharing with whom? Um, uh, yesterday, Lionel Messi is sharing with Aguero. Thank you very much. Um, I think everybody has decided, right, that Angel Di Maria and Ezequiel Lavezzi is the, the party room. Are we all in agreement there? Uh, but for some reason, obviously there are 23 players, so it's not for some. The reason is fairly obvious. Somebody's got to be. Um, Fernando Gago is, is the, the diva who's insisted on his own bedroom. Um, hilariously, after I tweet, after I retweeted the list, Australian Dan. Uh, tweeted me a couple of pictures of, of supposed bedrooms <laughs> with, uh, with with Messi and Aguero's uh, bedroom being um, some catalogue bunk bed with a massive football attached to it um, and then he tweeted me a picture of like a Disney princess's pink bedroom and said this is where Gaga's sleeping and I saw a couple of tweets today with, from other people mentioning me which suggested that at least two people actually thought that he was being serious and that was a real photo of Gaga's um, Bedroom. They, they, I think just really bad BO, right? They could have set a, a three a, a three man bedroom so that Gabo isn't doesn't sleep alone. Because that that of course there will be people that will say that Gago is not in the mood to share with some other teammates and then but you could have said, Well, there will be a room for three and you perhaps solved that problem. Of leaving someone alone. I still don't understand why anyone shares at all. With the money available, you know, these are kind of superstars. Why are they sharing rooms? Well, they have seen, you know, all the teams share. Well, I, I think know, it helps to, to, to gel. Yeah, exactly, yeah. camaraderie, I guess. Yeah. Um, to continue with the groups. One, yeah. one, thing I did, one thing I did notice when, when they were tweeted was that um, everybody is in rooms numbered between 1 and 18. <laughs> Except there are two pairs. There's one room 33 and there's one room 77. I think the room 77 is Maxi Rodriguez and... Demi Chelis or Basante or somebody um, and so as I, I asked on Twitter last night everybody else is in these rooms and these other people are in room 77 and do they snore really loudly or something and of course as I, it was pointed out to me I think Andres might have been one of the people who pointed it out uh, the number 17 is an unlucky number in Argentina so they've replaced the 1 with the 7 specifically for the World Cup and likewise they've done the same thing with the 13 33 um, Nothing has been left to chance in Argentina. Uh, one of the AFA vice presidents, on a similar note, uh, one of the AFA vice presidents had the entrance to the complex. They're, tr- they're staying, as we might have mentioned earlier on, in Atletico Mineiro's um, training complex and Concentración Hotel outside Belo Horizonte called Cidade de Dogalo. My Portuguese is fluent and flowing. Um, 
and uh, one of the AFA vice presidents had a sign hung over the gate. And when it when it when the photos came out, everybody in Argentina assumed this is Brazilians trying to, to curse us, trying to give us bad money. Yeah, it was who had a sign hung over the gate saying "Bienvenidos al futuro campeón." Welcome, future champions. <laughs> and of course, Sabella phones up the app and says, get this taken the fuck down. <laughs> what do you want? You've got a curse. So um, even the luck is, is uh, nothing's been left to chance in, uh, for this World Cup. Uh, Chris Hartley asks, Argentina are my favourites purely based on their route to the final. Should I put the contents of my bank account on it? Yep. Yeah, I'd say yeah. <laughs> That's two yeses from the gamblers, the Englishmen. What does the Argentine, who presumably never has placed a bet in his life, say? Uh, uh, well, of course, Andres actually used to work for a betting uh, company, so he's arguably the best person. According to the study, the one the I, I heard, I don't, I don't remember the the, 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 the company or the, the the one who who did that the, the survey that there was a the, the the favorite, of course, Brazil with nineteen percent possibilities. And Argentina had 12%. Oh, this was... Um... No, it's gone. Uh, uh, business Insider or something did some kind of... Not Business Insider, because they're just a news aggregator site, but yeah, I saw it the other day. Or, or Blooming... Uh... Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bloomberg, that sounds more like it. Um, I would go for... I'm not sure about the whole contents of your bank account, but de- depending on how much money you have, maybe one third to half of your bank account on an each way bet so that if they reach the semi-final you get something back as well because yes, I think the semi-final is uh, yes. should be on the one hand it should be considered a success historically we're going to get onto this obviously in a second because they haven't got past the quarters since 1990 but on the other hand I think the semi-final is eminently reachable for Argentina um, to be honest I just said yes because I wouldn't do that myself but I quite like you recommend placing all of somebody else's bank accounts Absolutely, on the, yeah. So the if you're listening, Chris, then I would get straight down to the bookies and put everything you possibly mm-hmm. own on Argentina to win outright. There you go. I would certainly say that Gonzalo Higuain to win the Golden Boot each way has to be a decent bet. Yeah, Given I mean, that everybody seems to think Messi and Aguero are going to score more goals than him and he was the top, sorry, second top scorer in qualifying and he managed four goals in four games in the 2010 World Cup. Yeah, Plus, and the game I think also, given Argentina's group, I was thinking about that today. That um, obviously we, we were saying that they're slightly an unknown quantity, but potentially the Iran game could be. Uh, I don't know. I don't think any of Argentina's group opponents are going to be provide thrashings. But um, yeah, as but we say, they're, they're three games. The goals are Argentina gonna, ought to win all three. Yeah, and, one, and the goals are going to going to come from. Those, sure. those three sources that you mentioned so right. any of those three if they do score in the group stages are going to be in with a shot of oh. being golden I was thinking about the 6-0 against Serbia and Montenegro you know good so you know, reasonable size good solid side you yeah, see the one goal yeah. in 12 matches that's right 6-0 six, six, six I mean Argentina yeah. were on fire that day and uh, you know so I think it's, it's possible but, uh, yeah. including the greatest goal in World Cup history mm. of course mm. Um, mm. although Andres may beg to differ but in my opinion <laughs> that is the case obviously most Argentines tend to hold you know, Couple yes. of others just above it. So. First, the I think Cambiaso goal in Serbia and then the Maradona second. Mm. Oh, the second? Yes. A very unusual statement to make. Most Argentines seem to prefer the first one for some reason. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Um, we're going to play some music now and then when we come back, we will wrap things up as I've already sort of hinted 
good grief, recording longer than I thought, um, with a very brief little bit of what we expect from the World Cup beyond what we have just mentioned. So don't go away. since quite an early age, in fact, has always been that once you reach the semi-finals, any one of those four sides has a roughly even chance and more or less evenly deserves um, to win it. One obvious exception being uh, four years ago when the Netherlands didn't deserve to win it at all by virtue of being evil bastards in the final and just kicking Spanish players rather than the ball. However, no offence to our Dutch listeners, of course, but it was a horrible team. Um, So I'm going to ask... For predictions, I suspect we're probably all going to have fairly similar predictions on this. For first of all, the four semi-finalists, clockwise in order, starting with the man on my left, who is Peter. I, well, the draw might render my options pointless, but Argentina, Brazil, Spain, and on the Germany on the Brazilian side. They are. All right, those four. Then. There we go. That makes perfect sense. Andres, I, I can't agree. <laughs> the <laughs> have an, another opinion. Like there's, there's there's a reason that pretty much every single football expert on Twitter has gone for semi-finals of Brazil versus Germany and Argentina Brazil Argentina. Brazil in the final will be the best. So it's impossible not to think about that and. They um, both win their groups in, and they both continue to win from there. In order, in order that to, to happen, we have to say that Argentina faces Spain in semi-final and Brazil, Germany mm-hmm. in the other draw. It's, it looks uh, and, and it looks possible at least for Argentina, as uh, they have the easy between inverted commas way, at least after. Uh, until the uh, round of 16, where they could face Switzerland or France, uh, and they think there, I think there is no other opportunity, uh, no other possible way, and mm. then don't know uh, for sure about quarterfinals, but semi-finals, uh, Argentina, Spain, and uh, Brazil, Germany will be there. I think it's the most mouth-watering, you know, potentially most mouth-watering semi-finals we've had for many a World Cup. You know, I'm going to go for, again for the same four teams. I'm going to say Argentina to beat Germany in the final, having dispensed with Brazil and Spain in the semi-finals. But that's, but that's not to mention, you know, Portugal, France, you know, Ivory Coast, Holland. You know, mm. uh, that's leaving those in the quarter, you know, leaving those behind in the quarterfinals or the group of sixteen. You know, so but it's, I think it's a potentially, you know, I hope I don't, you know. Even my words, but a potentially fantastic World Cup. I think yeah. statistically, and when you're, there's a reason why everyone chooses those four teams. 
I would, it's still a part of me which would be surprised if they are the four teams because the World Cup well, of course, will, will, never, will yeah, throw up yeah, yeah. A, and there'll be one of those four at least that will come from the group that you just mentioned or you know Belgium or Colombia or someone will have a very good well Colombia I think without Falcao are going to yeah. struggle of course but, yeah, you know, yeah. but they, 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 <coughs> yeah. they have James Rodriguez they have uh, yeah, it's not a very good team El, yes uh, no they have but I just think that uh, Radamel Falcao Garcia was the player uh, who was going to make the difference yeah. um, last time who predicted Uruguay to reach the semi-finals last time exactly. round, you know, so you, it's you know, always going to be surprises there, is, there are indeed uh, I'm going to go with the same four semi-finalists Germany versus Brazil Argentina versus um, Spain having said that it wouldn't surprise me if Brazil don't make it as far as everybody is expecting they've got a relatively tricky draw they've also got a lot of pressure I've been saying this a lot in, in private conversations I'm going to say it on the record now that uh, Brazil's uh, pre-World Cup friendlies have been screened on direct TV um, as a result of which I've seen most of them because I've got it at home uh, I'm one of, the, one of the lucky few in Argentina um, and uh, for whatever reason they seem to have the crowd noise levels relatively high behind the commentary um, when you watch a game on direct TV and it's been interesting uh, again, they played Slovenia just before Argentina no? Slovenia I can't remember no, the Uruguay was the one played Panama. Slovenia I think yeah Uruguay played Slovenia um, they, Brazil played Panama and they played someone else Ser- Ser- um, Serbia that's right yeah yes, um, and in the Panama game it was nil nil after half an hour and the Brazilian fans started cheering for Panama because Brazil were playing ordinarily I mean if Brazil go behind at any point and then that, the pressure is going to become astonishing and as I said the German man before we started recording the, the Brazilian supporters started whistling as, uh, at Brazilian players because they they defeated the Serbia one nil and Neymar wasn't very good and they whistled the, especially Neymar. Hmm. Uh, top scorer. We've mentioned Iguain as a decent each way bet, of course, but uh, beyond him, I think it's the whole World Cup rather. Just if Luis Suarez is in good form, bet Luis Suarez. Depending on how many group stage games yes. he plays, right? Uh, Oscar Washington Tabares, the Uruguay manager, said on Tuesday that he didn't know whether Suarez was going to be fit for the first or the second or the third group game. So that's a sort of a minor worry. But Benzema, uh... uh, if the French, depending on which way the French go, which you never can quite tell. So it's quite a big F, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Cristiano Ronaldo, nobody. Possibility, yeah. I don't know if Aguero, though. I just think Aguero's going to be so fresh, you know, after having not played that many games in recent months. So, yeah. go for Aguero. Without having looked at any odds, I'd almost be tempted to go for Miroslav closer, purely because he might never do anything for his clubs, but he just seems to score them by the bucket load at World Cups for some reason. He scored goals in every World Cup he played. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's, he could very well overtake Ronaldo as the all time top scorer uh, in this tournament. And he's the only centre. He's the only forward that Germany named in their squad. Hilariously, I don't know. He's fourth. Does he currently fourth? I think. Does he like start for Germany at the moment? Well, as I say, he's the only forward in the squad. They've not even named. But do they play? So do they? Do not. Do they they, they're either got him up front or they're playing with a Germany for similar formation. Um, so yeah, he, he's going to start more often. Similar squad. 
between Germany and Spain with a lot of midfielders, creative midfielders and non, not, almost no, no natural strikers. Close it for Germany and Fernando Torres for, for Spain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the inevitable question, of course, with, with three English people and with an audience largely consisting of Brits is, how are England going to do? Andres? What? Sorry? <laughs> do you even know when we've got any How will England do? How will England do? We have Italy, Costa Rica and Uruguay in our group. Yeah, they, they will face... The, they will... Uh, Qualify to the round of 16 with, mm. I guess Uruguay. Okay. I will, I will, I will say Italy will not qualify. Okay, interesting. Okay. Down. I mean, it could go, it could go two ways. Either it could be an absolute disaster and, and not qualify, or with this, you know, low expectations, some good young players. I think if Hodgson gives the youngsters, the Barkley and, and Sterling and, and the likes room to expand and do what they want to do and you know run free they could surprise people you know um, just because given that freedom mm. could it's a big could they do seem yeah. to be a happier group than England yeah. have had for yeah. some time and being and relaxed more, yeah being yeah. relaxed to the World Cup counts for a lot you know sometimes a little bit more than talent and all, and all the rest of it so, so it could do well maybe quarter final yeah right? and I think also me and Dan were talking about this before we recorded that in our gener- in our lifetime of World Cup it, it, like experience, this seems to be slightly. I'm quite, I'm quite a bit longer. I've got yeah, a few more World Cups in my memory, but even Dad, so, even so, yeah. I believe yeah. Was, was born whilst the World Cup was still warm from Bobby Moore's handprints, right? Exactly. That my first game, yeah, my first game, West Ham was shortly after um, West Ham lifted the 1966 World Cup what, for England. When were you born then? Yeah, 62. Oh, I see, right, so you can uh, yeah, possibly not right. remember it. Then. I don't remember, I don't remember it, no, no, but my first game was in 67. I see. My first league game was oh, West Ham yeah. versus Burnley. We lost, of course, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you can, you're one of the few Englishmen that I know that could actually say, I saw it. I saw it, I, I didn't I see it. I saw it, yeah, I saw it, yeah. It's an interesting one for me yeah. as well, because of course my, my dad's older than you, but he has no interest whatsoever in football, so I didn't really grow up with any... Uh, I remember England winning the World Cup and growing with any of that. I, I have to think my dad is German, um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I have a very different, very odd uh, relationship with the World Cup. So, uh, okay. uh, but yeah, on that point though, is that I think you know, in our generation from the sort of nineties, this it, this seems to be like the first World Cup really where there's such a view of England being just a desert, like a write-off almost in this World Cup, mm. and. On this note, by the way, I need to point out that uh, the the composer of the Hand of Pod theme tune, which I know a lot of you listeners uh, enjoy thoroughly, um, who happens to be my best friend, uh, every four years he's a professional musician, as is his girlfriend, and the two of them make a World Cup anthem of their own. And this year they have redone uh, the 1970 classic Back Home. Um, if you look for it on YouTube, I have tweeted it a couple of times. I'll possibly add it to the blog post on this on handapod.wordpress.com as well uh, because it's superb. They've redone it with new lyrics to reflect the fact that England are a bit shit at the moment. Sorry, Peter Curry. Yeah, about this that point is that this is the first time really that I can remember like an entire fan base of England kind of writing it off and saying, "Oh, maybe Hodgson can give the likes of Sterling, Barkley a run out." 
and and more just oh get them some big tournament experience in preparation for perhaps the Euros in two years or the World mm-hmm. Cup, the next World Cup, and actually not going into this World Cup with any expectations whatsoever. Whereas previously, even when we're not the favourites, people have thought, well, yeah, we're not the favourites, but oh, you know, this is the golden generation. Well, the irony is we could yeah, win it. There's some half decent players there. You know, okay, we've got no Ronaldos and we've got no Messis, but you know, the depth of talent. There's you know seven or eight half. You know, your Sturridge and Welbeck and you know Barkley and all the rest of it. They're not bad players. They're not great players, but they're not bad players. You know, so there's the makings of a team there. You know. People, of course, don't listen to us for uh, England uh, uh, feedback, so I'm going to cut it a bit short there. But very briefly, I would, uh, for Andres, of course, the answer is obvious, so we're not going to ask you. Um, but this being Hand of Pod's first ever World Cup, uh, who would we all, the English among us, prefer to win out of England or Argentina? Who would we prefer to win? Believe um, it or not, I've had this question addressed to me on Twitter. I, I would if bring, England play Argentina, who are we going to be supporting? Uh, my heart tells me, you know, my heart goes with England every time, but my head tells me Argentina would win it. Of course. I couldn't possibly go back to England having been here saying, oh, I'm actively supporting Argentina. But as I said some weeks ago, I, I've resigned myself to the fact that I'm not going to see England win the World Cup. Mm. Living in Buenos Aires, I would like to see Argentina win the World Cup. So I was in Buenos Aires when Argentina won the World Cup in Brazil and I was present at the absolute mm, lunacy that will happen of course should it okay. yes I mean very much the same uh, so please if any of you are well non-Argentine um, and you're going to be watching please don't do what you did four years ago if Argentina lose and start sending me tweets taking the piss out of me because Argentina have lost because I'm not going to be particularly sad um, I would rather, obviously, if, if it wants England are out, I'll be supporting Argentina, but I'm not going to particularly care if they lose. Sorry, Andres. Living in Argentina doesn't mean that you will support Argentina. Even, no, even the number of people who think it does. <laughs> even when they play your home nation, so of course it's, yeah, it's logical that you will uh, support England if Argentina faces England in any phase. So. I would point out that if Argentina were to be England, my support of England would be very private and I wouldn't be out in the streets. So <laughs> <actively>. <laughs> it's also worth pointing out, I think I'm correcting this, that we all have Argentine wives and girlfriends. You know? Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's to be in, taken into consideration. In this case, uh, the problem for England... Well, my mind doesn't give a toss about football, so I understand. <laughs> the problem in this case for England is that uh, comparing to 2002 uh, World Cup, when in the group stage, uh, England defeated, uh, defeated Argentina, and the 2006 in the quarterfinals where Argentina defeated England uh, in a penalty shootout. In this case, there are no, uh, uh, there is no equal. The, the teams are, are, are much different. Uh, England has perhaps Wayne Rooney and. What who else? Uh, and there are lots of English people who would say that you're overrating Wayne Rooney and making that <coughs> statement if I believe it or not. Oh, sorry, I just moved in. Lots of people actually question Rooney's place in the eleven. Well, that's what I just said. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's what well, that's 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 not just like over, not just yeah. in terms of being overrated, but even just his place in the team. Indeed, they do. Anyway, we are at yeah. risk of uh, making this into an, an England podcast after a lot of talk about Argentina already. We are aware that it has gone a very, very um, long recording so far, even by Hand of Pod's normal standards. So for now, 
We will say thank you very much. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, we're going to try and have, I think, a post-group stage sort of mini-podcast, which will probably consist of me, possibly Peter or Andres, if one of you are up for it, or possibly one of the others, um, and somebody, not sure exactly who yet, but hopefully someone who's in Brazil and has actually been to at least one Argentina game, uh, discussing the performances and what we expect from, well, from hopefully, from the knockout round. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but I'm sure we're all, as we say, hoping that Argentina do well, uh, even the English among us. Um, so for now, it's goodbye. Don't expect a podcast from us next week or the week after, but possibly during the week after that, once the World Cup knockout stages are ready to begin, um, we will try and put something together. You're going to watch all the matches anyway, of course. If you're listening to this podcast, it means you're interested in Argentine football enough to, to watch Argentina in the World Cup, um, which is part of the reason why I'm not meant to record episodes in between matches. So thank you for listening. Thank you very much for listening for another season, because, of course, this podcast also was the end of the domestic season with Independiente being promoted such a long time ago now. We've been recording for so long. Uh, so thank you for the support for another season, and please join us again next season if you're just listening to the domestic stuff. If you're not... Enjoy Christmas, enjoy this month that's coming up of the World Cup. Um, and thank you, by the way, to the Football Pink and to Elliot Quintz, who provided me with two beautiful football wall charts, because football wall charts are not so... World Cup wall charts are not done in Argentina for some reason. Um, I appealed a couple of days ago on Twitter and, and was met with two of them, so big thumbs up for both of us. For now, it's goodbye from uh, German Dan. Goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Thank you for joining us again. Uh, we should have asked you how you thought Germany were going to do, but uh, possibly once we've finished recording we'll do that. Uh, goodbye from Peter. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye from me. Goodbye. And goodbye from the Argentine among us. And good luck for the World Cup, Peter, because this is, of course, an Argentine podcast. Goodbye. Peter. Did I just say Peter? <laughs> Peter. Oh, yeah. Well, good luck, Andres. Good, and, uh, goodbye and vamos a Argentina.